welcome to Blue Collar BS, a podcast that busts the popular myth that we can't find good people, highlighting how the different generations of today, the boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Gen Z are redefining work so that the industrial revolution that started in the U.S. stays in the U.S. Welcome back to Blue Collar BS. This is Brad Herta with my great and wonderful co-host out of the beautiful state of Michigan, Mr. Stephen Doyle. Welcome back, Brad. How are you, sir? Doing well, my friend, and yourself? I am fantastic. I saw you did a little fishing over the weekend, and any luck? I did. I did, and you know, I caught a lot of sun. Perfect. A lot of sun. (laughs) Even better. Hopefully some 12 ounces, too, possibly. (laughs) No, it was a little early for that. Uh, Too early for my taste to be doing that. Well, you can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. That's right. (laughs) But today we've got an awesome show coming up with a great friend and an awesome individual, Anne Rakowicki, owner of The Marketing Kitchen. She is an amazing individual that supports probably people that are more blue collar than most people in blue collar in that food, beverage, restaurant, hospitality space. And she's got some amazing, amazing stories and some great friends in that spot. We'd give her a shot to explain and help us understand more about the troubles, trials, tribulations in in your industry. So welcome, Ann. Thank you for having me. Isn't that what they always say on the news? Thank you for having me. So our first question we always ask our guests, we are a generational show and we want to get a framework on that. Mm -hmm. Um, Which generation would you identify with? Uh, Calendar would definitely say Gen X. Yes. Mm -hmm. Steve's Steve. For those that can't see, Steve's raising his arms up and down because he thinks he's a Gen X (laughs) by the calendar. Anyhow, that that is a really important point to to think of, uh, especially nowadays. uh, With um, we have ultimately what probably five generations in our workplace these days and uh, different things mean different right you know it's very different how people look at things in the workplace for sure so so how did you get down the path of your you know supporting the restaurateurs and the food and bev industries and the hospitality space how did you get down that path my actual first job i was a housekeeper at what was then probably one of the only mainstream luxury hotels and what I really enjoyed about that, even the age of you know 16 and 17, is first of all, I made more than minimum wage. So I was I was putting 475 away an hour compared to 425. Uh, Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> and but what I really liked about it was kind of seeing the the internal structure of how that show actually happens from everything that happens at the front desk to what does a guest get when they check into their room and you have an expectation when you go to a hotel that your room is going to be clean and comfortable all that it takes to get to that point is really pretty amazing and that's kind of what what got me into hospitality and uh, the restaurant business just watching that symphony from there Tell us a little bit more about the marketing kitchen. Oh, sure. My last job that I got a paycheck from somebody else was in contract food service, right? And I worked for a billion dollar company, which was one sector of a ginormous company that operated in 90 countries around the world. What I found was in that system, there was a lot that I didn't have to think about creatively as a marketing person. 
Right. There were, yeah, there were certainly glimpses of it because I worked on a, a university campus and the university always wanted things that were customized, but they also wanted things that were plug and play, mm-hmm. which is why they hired somebody and contract with somebody to do that. And when my time there was done, the thing that came to my head was why do only big companies get to have that kind of stuff? And when I think about any small business, whether it's a restaurant or retail or anything, they have probably have a system for inventory. They have a system for bookkeeping. They have a system for timekeeping. They have a system for hiring, firing, everything else, but probably what they don't have a system for is marketing. And Mm -hmm. I think what they've- So true. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And everybody knows how important it is. At the end of the day, they say, well, I I can do this stuff myself. I don't need anybody to do it, which is probably true, right? But then there's a lot of things that come into play there. It's, you know, now there's so much that's technical about marketing with digital marketing. And there's so many- different tools out there that are web-based and who has the time and the patience and the tolerance for all those things. Mm -hmm. And what I find is that oftentimes a business owner will look at kind of siloing their marketing and they might have a web guy, they might have a graphic designer, they have somebody that does their social media, whether it's their niece. The web guy's his nephew, by the way, who's also (laughs) washing dishes. Well, right. I mean, and it can be like that or a friend. Right. And and while all of those folks start out with really great intentions and, you know, doing things for free or at low cost or no cost, what ends up happening is that the business's outward appearance, their brand and their image becomes very disjointed. Is that the social media might not reflect the website, the website not might not reflect the piece of paper or the menu that somebody gets when they walk into a restaurant. And so when that customer walks in the place for the first time, they could be really unsettled by what they're seeing. Really, instead of looking at that thing as the whole recipe, we have to look holistically at each of those marketing components as part of a, an entire recipe that happens in the marketing kitchen. Voila. Ooh. <laughs> yes. Awesome. As, yes. At the end of the day, we yes. have cookies. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, but like a chef as sophisticated as Julia Child or Jacques Pepin or somebody that looks, you know, like, you know, pretty rough and tumble like Guy Fieri, they didn't get to where they were just by throwing stuff together. A marketing recipe for a hot dog restaurant in, in Milwaukee looks very, very different than a marketing recipe for a hot dog joint in Chicago. Mm-hmm. No, ke- no ketchup. <laughs> mustard only in Detroit. The age yes. old question of what goes on the hot dog. That's right. Mustard only in Detroit. <laughs> so, so as you've gone on this journey with your kitchen and your experience and probably witnessed maybe a shift of age in your principal owners of some of your establishments, maybe becoming a little bit younger. Absolutely. Over the course of time, how have you seen their behaviors shift or be open to ideas and and how's that impacting customer experience and or the workforce? Pointing to my example of, it used to be you saw uh, cooking shows only on PBS. And I grew up watching a lot of those, whether it was Martin Yan or or Julia Child. Uh, Now- The Saturday afternoon rain and all you had was Julia Child on TV back in the day. It's like, oh, great. Can we turn the channel? (laughs) I was, hey, I was a sick kid when I was little. So I watched a lot of cooking shows. They were entertaining. But now we see 
you know, we see the likes of Gordon Ramsay, we see the Guy Fiennes, we see Robert Irvine, we see Rachel Ray. And it's very cool to be in the food biz. It's very cool because you have these awesome slick looking spaces. You have these amazing recipes and Gordon Ramsay will come in there and I'll, yeah, don't get you dirty, you idiot sandwich, right? It makes for great TV. And we do see that kind of, you know, I see that reflected in the age of people who are opening restaurants. And I think what we're, we're seeing, and I don't think this is exclusive to the restaurant industry, but right when you see a family owned business, how many generations does it really make? It might make it past the second or third. And now I think people who grow up in the industry, they see how hard their folks have worked because a lot of local independent owned restaurants are not necessarily, none of them are necessarily money printing factories, but most you know, aren't. Those, right, most are a labor those, of love. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it takes a special kind of person to run a restaurant. I think we see people like they grew up washing dishes. They grew up taking phone orders. They see what kind of shape their folks are in these days. And they think, I don't want to work that hard the rest of my life. Right now, especially here in the Milwaukee area, we're seeing an abundance of restaurants opening Mm -hmm. over the last few years. Unfortunately, we're also seeing an abundance of restaurants closing. You know, I was in Santa Fe over the weekend. In Santa Fe, I can't recall the population, but there are 300 restaurants in Santa Fe. And it's not that big of a town. You know, the environment of it is just kind of this hip and trendy cool place. Santa Fe is growing by leaps and bounds. But to have that many restaurants in a town of that size is kind of amazing. 83,922. 300 restaurants for 84,000 people. Huh. What we're seeing in Milwaukee. So, so is- do they not have kitchens in their houses? <laughs> <laughs> do they use all that extra space for something else because that's like 280 people. Uh, that's that's ridiculous. It is. But if you think about where it is on I-25, you're in between Denver and Albuquerque. You're also on the way down to Mexico, right from Santa Fe. You're four hours from Amarillo. You're four hours from, I can't remember in Nevada. You're four hours from Denver and you're four hours from Mexico. And the city is booming, booming, booming. And here in Milwaukee, we're seeing that same kind of boom with an influx of younger people, a lot younger people. And food is cool with younger people. And so younger people are going to places that are hustling and bustling and younger people are opening up restaurants. It's, it's absolutely amazing. I never would have thought at the age of 20 what Milwaukee looked like then and what it looks like now in the last 30 years, how it's changed. And it's, I love it. It's remarkable. With that, we see the same things across the country. We see, you talked about what are the struggles that restaurant owners are facing now? The labor thing, we everybody's familiar with that. Right. For sure. Uh, the biggest struggle that I just um, heard an interview today, the, one of the co-owners of the packing house, right? And talking about his expenses. He used to go to lunch there many, many times. Right. So he was on the national news network earlier talking about the expenses and sometimes 13, 14, you know, humongous percentages and just beyond the the staples of poultry seafood and meats i'll tell you guys the when co2 increases in price you Mm -hmm. know things are crazy they're bananas so that thing that always makes people money in a restaurant business which is like soda now your co2 is going up your premix is going to go up and your 
disposable cups are going up. And I've been to places where they can't get the disposable cups that they right. had been getting, right? You go to into, into a gas station and you go to buy a large 44 ounce drown your kidneys um, <laughs> soda, right? And all they got is 16 ounces that, you know, it, it's got some printing on it, like enjoy the movie because that's all they can get. <laughs> and the labor part, I definitely have some opinions on that. So I'll, come on. I'll wait for you the question. Oh, come on. You, you have an opinion, Anne? Come on. I find that hard to believe. I do, right? So so let me ask you. So let's go down. Let's let's, let's have go down the there. opinion. Let's go down okay. that rabbit hole. Yeah. But let's yeah. have the opinion start out with what are you seeing from a behavioral perspective between folks that are entering into the food and beverage space versus those that have been there a while and just kind of run the circle? Mm. People who are who are lifers, when when the shutdown happened, you think about the people who make their living on tips. Mm-hmm. Some restaurants were well positioned for takeout and carry out and delivery. You know, if you're a quick quick service or a fast food restaurant, you're well positioned for it. If you're a place with, you know, where you're serving, like I couldn't believe Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, right? You know how much they were trying to get for a meal? They probably got it. But if I would, if I had the money to pay for a meal at Ruth, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, I wouldn't get it delivered to me, not for upwards of $200. Right. Right. So those people who made, who made their money off the tips, right. When that dries up, because in a sit down restaurant, how do you do it? You don't have the systems. How do you keep a filet mignon at temp and at whatever. I, I know some lifers who said, forget this. I'm going to go work at a bank. I have steady hours. I know when I'm going to be home. I have holidays. I have benefits. I have insurance. And I don't have to deal with all the drama that goes on in the world, right? Is there drama drama in food and beverage? (laughs) Well, I I believe firmly that most of it is created by the consumers, especially these days, you know, especially these days. I think last year, by last year at this time, we really went away from people being patient and understanding. April of 2020 and May and even through June of 2020, people were saying, hey, be patient. This is a whole new way of doing business for everybody. And by October of last year, people were back to, right, because money might have been tighter for everybody. So if they're going to spend 30, 40, 50 bucks on a meal out when they're not quite sure, you know, what they have in the reserves themselves, but they want to support somebody else, it was even more and more important to be hitting everything on all cylinders for those guests. People became very, very impatient, which I, I get, but you could go from hero to zero, you know, with one false move. We've, we're mm-hmm. all in those Facebook groups right. where somebody says something and then it's pile on, right? Right. And I work part-time at the stadium up in the suites area in the early part of the year when they first started allowing fans in. It was very, very congenial. Oh, yep, we got it. We got it. As the season went along. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. <laughs> it would be like heaven and earth has just come falling, crashing on right. you because, because the chicken tenders were four minutes late. At a macro level over decades through policies and whatever that have come before this time period, we kind of become comfortable in creating this service-based economy mm-hmm. where people don't value service. People have been always asking questions. Why should you make money for flipping burgers? Well, there's more to it. That attitude had kind of existed. I mean, I've been in those positions where people look at you like, 
because you're working in a service job, you know, that you're less than Mm -hmm. as a grown woman with an MBA and with a successful business, I'll jump in and help my clients out. And the way people talk to me, if I walked around in my master's hood and my hat, like the Yahtzee professor, no way. (laughs) But Well, right. Because you're wearing a shirt with a name tag. The um, inference is that you're incapable of doing anything other than menial labor. But I'll tell you, I would put a line cook, a line server, and a restaurant GM up against any white-collar team for decision-making, effective decision-making, and fast decision-making. Because they don't have time to circle back they don't have time well can we get can we get back to that on thursday can we can we set up (laughs) we'll set up a meeting on thursday and we'll discuss it some more right because when somebody's standing in front of you with a problem like they haven't gotten their order or something's wrong you have seconds Mm -hmm. to put on the right face to have the right response and to make it better. Mm -hmm. Really bothers me that people don't value that kind of decision making. And they've said, well, go get a better job. Well, guess what everybody did when the pandemic hit, they went and got a better job. And now in the labor force, people realize that they're, it's, they're the hot commodity. Labor Mm -hmm. is the hot commodity. It's not only about wages. It's about giving people the expectation, showing them, telling them, when, you know, it's just rinse, wash, repeat. People mm-hmm. will stay, they'll stay in a position where they're A, appreciated, where they know what they're supposed to do and that they get feedback, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. A thank it, you goes a long way. A thank you goes a right? long, long way to a, um, a runner, a server, um, yep. the bus person, when they come and take your stuff, that thank yep. you, the, it can make that server's day when you just say thank you. And it costs nothing. Zero. It costs absolutely nothing. I think sometimes as managers, we, we forget that, right? And we hold on to those things because we know that that's kind of stuff can be, I don't want to use the term weaponized. You know, it's like- mm-hmm. Uh, you see, we've all had managers that are like mommy dearest <laughs> in front it's you know pictures on the red carpet and in the back it's tina bring me the act and owners these days are going out of their minds right because especially if they're have if they have more than one location because now you've just multiplied the problems that you have there's only one owner maybe co-owner right that can actually get in there and know use their hands mm-hmm. One of the the owners, the money owner, the other owner is the working owner and uh, the money owner doesn't want to do this, do it because he doesn't want to work it. He just wanted to put the money in. (laughs) You don't want him in there. Right, (laughs) exactly. Other than, you know, know, kissing baby, shaking hands and, you know, back slapping, you don't want him in there. You want somebody who who has the experience. When I think about the challenges that a restaurant owner or a general manager has in trying to put out so many fires is that onboarding process. What does that look like? Mm-hmm. These things have all existed before the pandemic. It's, right. That's always been a thing is what does the onboarding process look like? What does that probationary period look like? And what does the afterward look like? What was what year was that that like cross-functional cross-training came into play? Was that oh. like 90s or something? 
that was a mid nineties opportunity. Yes. Versus specialization versus generalization. Which, you know, is just another way of saying none of you are irreplaceable. (laughs) (laughs) And it's tough everywhere. But I also think too, this is an industry and a type of worker that's been taken, taken for granted for years. Even going back to placing a phone order, you order a pizza in the 80s, you call the number and Domino's said to be there within 30 minutes. Okay. In my lifetime, going out to eat has gone from kind of a luxury to it's a mainstay. Yep. It's something we expect to do. We do because we're always crunched for time and we're always pressed for it. Then we went to you know, things like um, third-party delivery systems or even a restaurant's own app. Click, click, click. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to think about it. It saves all your favorites and your food is there. You walk into a restaurant, you order and your food is there. So now that it doesn't happen the way we're used to ha- having it happen, it shakes everything up. I, I was in a restaurant in, here in West Dallas the other day and people were coming in to support And because of supply chain issues, this restaurant had to cut their menu down to basically appetizers. They had some chicken wings, some tater tots, French fries. (laughs) Yep. First of all, I wouldn't be selling chicken wings right now, (laughs) even if I could get them, because you'd have to sell a lot to make any money. Um, But, you know, they had like six or seven things on their menu. And these folks came in and said, do you have a dinner menu? And this was like the moment of truth for this bartender to either make it or break it. And he said, unfortunately, due to supply chain issues, issues, this is what we have. If the owner. Wrong response. Right. And if the owner of that restaurant, who I will be sending a letter to, if they heard that, that somebody got away because of how it was sold. It's true. It's a true story that, that there is a supply supply chain issue. It is a true story that they have to have a limited menu. I was waiting for that bartender to say, you know what? These are the best wings you're going to have. It's going to be like a meal all to itself. You're not going to need anything else, Mm -hmm. but he didn't, he did not. And that's not his fault. It's not his fault. We introduced this abbreviated menu. I saw a a post on social media two hours beforehand. That owner did not give their people the tools to sell it. It was like this woe is me thing. Mm -hmm. People are sick of hearing woe is me. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So it's all in how you present it. Instead of, oh, woe is me, our supply chain sucks and we can't get anything. Just, man, we got the best wings in town that nobody's had. The best wings you never heard of. So sit down, I'll get them started for you right now. Right. But without the training and the tools that per, and I, I spent on chicken wings and cheese curds, plus a tip and a beverage, I spent $32. What would that, if from two people, that check probably would have been $50 because it would have got a couple of, what, what does a $50 extra a day mean to your sales? Right. Huge. At this time, it's huge. Mm-hmm. So talking on the presentation side mm. that you just mentioned, what could owners do to present opportunities to the younger generation that's available to work in the restaurant industry? 
And we saw this, I think, with millennials and, and Gen Z when I worked in college and university di uh, dining, is that uh, Generation X and up, we just show up, we work, we get a paycheck, we're out of there. Oh, I need yep. a paycheck. Mm -hmm. And now a days, when we look at the state of things socially, it, you know, people want to know, well, where does my food come from? What kind of politics do you support? Whatever. Pe and people want to, <laughs> well, am I wrong? Technically, I wrong? no, but. <laughs> this isn't, but just so you know, this is not a political show. We've it is not a political <laughs> show, and I'm I'm certainly not going down that road. Yep. But those Thank are you. all we appreciate you. <laughs> those those are all things now that consumers take into consideration. So, right, the best thing is the best defense is not to offend. So don't say anything. But there's there's cadres and politically speaking, that could be like either from what politicians you support to what policies you support. Yep. And we can even talk about, I mean. Really, you can talk about sustainability and environmentalism, right? And people will make decisions on where they go on either end of the spectrum based on those things. But right now, yeah, best defense is not to offend. But people these days, they want to be a part of something. And if you've got something that could be the next greatest thing, you have to give people a way to be involved, right? They want to know why. Well, why, if, if somebody comes to me and says X is wrong, what do I do? But it's not only what do I do, it's why am I doing that? Right. Why am I taking this action? They want to understand the whole flow. And if you're not willing or able to invest that kind of time to explain the why, when it comes to be a difficult time, when somebody doesn't know the why, and it's not a situation they've experienced before, well, what kind of decision-making and authority are, do they have to fix right. the problem? So I think that it's it's all about making sure that people are comfortable in their environment, that they are comfortable with their coworkers, that they are comfortable with their ability to solve a problem. You don't want to get bothered at nine o'clock at night by do I give this person a refund or not? You know, mm -hmm. no, you yeah. got to give that you got to give that authority level and set those expectations that, hey, yes, the server has the ability to right. give away or support or discount up to 20% of a meal or mm -hmm. of a whatever right. three right. times because a day, right? Because if, if you don't give that server, the one that's in contact, that opportunity, it's like trying to buy a car. I need to go find the manager before I can tell you what it's going to cost you. Right. Oh, and, in, in, in a world where it should take you maybe 15 or 20 minutes to get your meal, who, for what? What, why mm -hmm. is it, you know, I had, I had a, a former client that uh, people would, you know, complain about the accuracy or the completeness of their order on third-party delivery systems. And then it was, well, ask them if they have a screenshot of their order and send it this and you know and it's we're talking like four or five days to fix a, a $15 problem mm -hmm. and in that time $750 to fix 15 and in that time guess what's happening either they're writing you off completely or they're writing you up on google mm -hmm. which and then people wonder well why am I getting all, you know, why do we get these credit reviews? Well, because you're not fixing stuff. 
right? And that doesn't mean that you as the owner or the GM have to fix everything, but you have to let your people fix stuff. And probably one of the, the smartest things I'd ever heard from a former boss of mine, she was a lifer, owned many restaurants. And she said, if they fail, I've failed. But she also said, they can never make a wrong decision if I haven't let them know how to handle it. So no, you know, kind of operating under the no decision is a wrong decision, but you come back and you talk about it, right? If, if, if an employee says, you know what, I got an angry person, if nothing for self-preservation, fixing it, right? And, and making that person happy about it or less grumpy about it. And then the next day you talk about it, okay, well, this is what you did, what might have been better. Then it's an education process. They can never be wrong if you haven't taught them what to do. Right. And it's, it, but it just floors me that exactly like you said, Brad, $750 later, because now you got the guy who's in charge of accounting, banking, and finance for, for, for the restaurant digging into a $15 problem. Is this time spent there? Is this time best spent there? No. no. Apparently because they thought that was the right decision. Well, what is that? Step over a, a dollar bill to save a penny. Right. So, Anne, what recommendations would you have for anyone looking to enter into this specific blue collar space? I think there's two things that come into play that are the two most important things. If you want to go into hospitality or service of any type, you know, restaurant business, hospital, you know, hotel business, and you want to get a job in that space is that first of all, I, I think if you want to work in a hotel, you got to think hotels are cool. Like what's cool about them. If right. you work in, if you want to work in a restaurant, you got to think that restaurants are cool and that food is cool. Also, if you want to be successful and be happy with the decision that you've made, I think about something, a word of advice I saw uh, one of my colleagues do, and this is in, in a training session in a room full of like 25 people. And he said, I can teach you how to do this job. I can teach you how to um, check temperatures. I can teach you how to do inventory. I can teach you how to make change from a register, but I cannot teach you how to give a shit. <laughs> yes. And, and the give a shit is one of the biggest problems that the restaurant industry has. Food and beverage, it, it's been amazing to me to see how much is tolerated from a behavioral perspective because of fear. Mm-hmm. That's it. Is that it's it kind of goes with that adage, you know, buy nice or buy twice is that if you're waiting, <laughs> if you are just looking for a warm body, you are going to get a warm body, but the reputation of your restaurant and your food and the service relies squarely on the people who execute that every day. If you're not a person who cares about how other people feel in an environment, if you go to a networking event and you're content to sit in your corner with your people, stay out Steve, of it. Steve, have you right? ever done that before, Steve? <laughs> Steve, have not you ever done that before? You? <laughs> but if you're the type of person, or if you've got a kid, if you've got a, a, a son, daughter, a kid that is always looking for the the kid that's kind of sitting by themselves or makes friends with the new kid or helps somebody who's having trouble, whether they're standing up against a bully or helping somebody with homework, that's the kind of person that belongs in the hospitality industry. They're well-suited for it and they will be successful. 
added. And they will get a whole range of skills that they will not get from working in an office, that they will not get from working a blue collar job. They mm -hmm. will learn how to make people feel comfortable, how to make people feel welcome, how to make people feel like they're a part of the team. Mm -hmm. That is, it's the people smarts. One of it's the soft skills that employers always talk about that nobody has these days. Well, shoot, people have them, but let them explore those and give them permission to use those, to use their personality, to use their friendliness, their humor, their uh, sensitivity. Yeah, those are excellent points. And it was great having you on the show today and thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. We thank you very thank you. much. Somebody wanted to get your recipes to oh. <laughs> uh, support their business, to attract, retain, grow their revenues, find people, whatever whatever your recipes provide them. How do they get in touch with you? Well, I am a sucker for chicken wings, so they could take me out for wings. No. Um, <laughs> the, the best way to get in touch with me is if you visit my website. Uh, it's marketingkitchen.agency. And I've got some recipes up there right now for SEO, for uh, getting your business found online, which, you know, still e eludes a lot of people. And when I see people on Facebook going, get your restaurant found online, they're not explaining to people what that means. So really, aside <laughs> from just buying stuff and procuring stuff, it's an explanation and holistic look at, at the whole process of marketing. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. I'm Ann Rakowicki. If you can spell that, extra points for you. But yeah, just like, market, it, just like it sounds. Yes, yes, it is. Well, how does it sound though, right? <laughs> rack, rack, yeah, there's, I suppose there's no C right? right, until the end. It, <laughs> right. So it's uh, marketingkitchen.agency. And uh, I got a really cool uh, jump starter for. Um, driving traffic into a restaurant right within like 20 days, not even, you know, some of them within the first three or four days and some of them within 21 days, like driving traffic right now. Uh, biggest one is community fundraisers. I've got it all mapped out and how you actually do that. So that's available for a free download on my website. Awesome. Best Wings Tompkins. You know, I could really endanger myself here if I start <laughs> picking favorites of, of wings, right? You You're know, in a dangerous spot. That's okay. That's okay. We, we can leave. We can save that for an offline conversation. <laughs> it is a dangerous spot. But it, you know what? It's like red wine. You like what you like, right? Right. Exactly. And nobody can tell right. you any different. So <laughs> thanks, guys, so much. All right. Thanks, Thank Andy. you for uh, coming on and, and demonstrating how... Uh, how similar it is across, you know, the hospitality space to other blue collar industries and, and just any other business in general from a leadership expectation and, and teaching education perspective. So um, thank you for sharing your wisdom today. You bet. Can I borrow your shirt? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to blue collar BS brought to you by vision Forward business solutions and professional business coaching Inc. If you'd like to learn more on today's topic, just reach out to Steve Doyle or myself, Brad Herta. Please like, share, rate, and review this show as feedback is the only way we can get better. Let's keep blue-collar businesses strong for generations to come. <laughs>